This is the Equip Podcast from Cornerstone Church of Ames, a podcast designed to help you live a gospel-fueled and faithful life wherever Jesus has called you. Welcome again to the Equip Podcast from Cornerstone Church. My name's Mark Vance. Glad to be with you on the podcast. And today, I want to talk about the end times. You could call it the end times or eschatology, what will happen at the end of all things, the apocalypse. I'm going to spend a couple podcasts talking about this, and the starting point for this is actually out of our series on First Peter, where we just covered First Peter chapter 4, where Peter says the end of all things is near, or it's at hand. And so I mentioned in the sermon from this past Sunday, November the 7th at Cornerstone, that I'd spend a couple weeks on the Equip podcast, basically solving all of the problems that people have had throughout the history of the church over 2,000 years regarding the end times. Uh, That, by the way, is a joke, if you can't tell. Folks, here's what we won't be able to do, is I don't think we're going to be able to land with confidence um, a solution to every question that Christians have wrestled with about the end times on this podcast. I, I don't think there's any way that could happen. And so, before we dive into the key questions we'll work through, I want to set first the posture and the mode in which I'm going to engage in this conversation. And the the posture is this. I want us to have a posture of humility when we wrestle through questions like, what will it look like when Jesus returns? And the reason that I want us to have that posture of humility is, first of all, the texts of Scripture that we're going to look at throughout the 2,000 years plus that the Christian church has been wrestling with these texts of Scripture, we don't have just one definitive solution to these questions. And so we should be really hesitant to pound the table and yell where the Bible whispers in his quiet. But beyond that, I just want us to think historically. This is something one of our elders, Alex Tuckness, shared with me. He said, Mark, just think about how studiously the Pharisees and scribes in the Jewish religion studied the news of the Messiah and how he would come at his first coming. And then Jesus shows up. He is born in Bethlehem. He's born according to All the prophetic scripture that is there in the Old Testament prophets, things that these men, these scribes and Pharisees had poured over their whole life. They're studying it, longing for the coming of the Messiah. And Jesus shows up right in front of them and they miss it. The the point in this is to say, why should we be so arrogant as to think we are better students than they would be of the scriptures and that somehow they missed all the details of the first coming, but we're really better Bible students and now we're going to get this right. Let's at least have a posture going into any discussion about the end times of humility. Because of the divergent views throughout the history of the church, we need to learn to tread lightly here. The second place that I want to enter in this discussion is actually to reinforce that despite the disagreements the Christian church may have around how the times of the end will happen, actually what we hold in common as Christians is far more important in the overall storyline of the Bible and of everything. So here's a few places where I know we have agreement across the Christian church. First, All Christians everywhere believe there will one day be a sudden, personal, visible, physical return of Christ to earth. He told his disciples, I'm coming again. 
and 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and following remind us that the Lord himself one day will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, will be lo- who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and we will always be with the Lord. I mean, some of the final verses of the Bible, Revelation chapter 22, verse 20, surely I am coming soon. So all Christians everywhere agree on this. Jesus is coming again. And secondly, we should long for that coming, for that return of Christ. Titus 2 describes us as in this posture of waiting, that we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We should long for his return. Thirdly, Christians of every stripe in the world will say, we don't actually know exactly when, though, Jesus promises to come again. We're listening to Matthew chapter 24, verse 44, that says, This is why you should be ready, because the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And then finally, all Christians agree on the end results of what will happen after the coming of Christ, that there will be the judgment of unbelievers, or ultimately those who reject the rule of Jesus in this life will be cast into hell. Secondly, Christians agree ultimately that there will be a reward of believers as they enter into the presence of God the Father in the new heavens and new earth. And then we also agree that on that day, the curse of sin will be broken. And in God's new creation, there will be no more sorrow or sin or crying, that this return of Christ will ultimately bring out joy to the world and glory to God. Okay, all of that Christians agree on. We agree entirely on those things. And those actual big picture storylines are more foundational to the Christian faith than the intimate detail of, well, is the return of Christ completely imminent? What does that mean? Or how, what millennial position do you hold? What I want to say is all Christians, what we already agree on is far more prominent and important than the minutia we might disagree on. Perhaps we're seeing the picture clearly in black and white, but we might not agree on all the colors or shadings. That's okay, and that shouldn't disturb our faith. But when we do talk about some of the disagreements and some of the areas of end times discussion where Christians don't see exactly eye to eye, I want to just ponder kind of three key areas with you over the next few podcasts. It might take us a couple. We'll see how long it takes. But I'm going to just explore the differences of opinion a little bit um, in three key areas. Here's the key questions. The first one is, is the return of Christ imminent? And what that question is about is, could Jesus really come back at any moment given that it seems that there are some signs that Jesus talks about that need to precede his return. How can we say Jesus could return at any moment, but yet there are things that still need to happen before that return could happen? Is his return imminent or not? The second major area of question for Christians revolves around the millennial kingdom that Revelation chapter 20 talks about a thousand-year reign of Jesus and a period of tribulation. So, is this tribulation period seven years? Are Christians here? Is the rapture a thing that happens? That all kind of relates to those two questions around the millennial kingdom and the tribulation period. And then the final area where it seems Christians can have divergent perspective is in our understanding of what heaven will be like. 
um, what is heaven exactly? When we talk about the ultimate goal is a new heavens and a new earth, does that mean like the current one is destroyed and rebuilt? What exactly is happening there? And so what I'm going to try to do is just briefly review, uh, talk about kind of each of those three questions or the next couple podcasts and give you some of the key scriptures that surround all of those positions. I'll try to walk through the options that Christians would hold, and then humbly, I'm going to offer you the one that I think is probably the strongest and why I would prefer that option. All of this, I again, want to offer you on the foundation of what we know we agree about with the end times, that Jesus is coming, that we should long for his return, even if we don't know exactly when it will come, the end result of it will be judgment on the unbelievers, reward of believers in a new heavens and new earth. That foundation doesn't change, and I always want to operate from a posture of humility. If they miss the first coming of Jesus, it's entirely possible we will miss the details of his second coming. That doesn't mean we don't care about it, it just means that we're humble in the position we hold, whatever position we take. So, First question we're going to talk about is this one. Is the return of Jesus Christ to earth imminent, meaning it could happen at literally any moment? It could happen right now, right this instant, Jesus could return. There's nothing that needs to happen before his return. Or secondly, another position would be to say, well, actually, no, it's not technically imminent. It couldn't technically happen at any minute because there are certain signs that surround the return of Christ. Now, why is this such a hard question to answer? Well, it's because the Bible clearly talks about an expectation that seems to say that Jesus could come back at any moment. I mean, think of 1 Peter 4, 7. It says the end of all things is near. It doesn't say it's far away. It says it is is near. It's close. Matthew chapter 24, verses 42 to 44, tells us you need to be alert since you don't know the day your Lord is coming. But know this, if a homeowner had known what time the thief was coming, he would have stayed alert and not left his house to be broken into. This is why you're also to be ready, because the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. The whole logic of that passage is we don't know when the Lord's coming, So we need to be prepared and looking for it. If there were a whole bunch of signs that needed to happen, then we should be looking for the signs, not for the coming of the Lord. Here it says, look for the Lord. That seems to be a consistent emphasis in the scripture. Matthew 24, verse 50, the servant's master will come on a day he does not expect and an hour he does not know. So be ready, be ready, be ready. He could come at any time. There's lots and lots of passages in the New Testament that sound like that, that sound like we would say the return of Christ is imminent. It could happen at any moment. But there are a whole host of other passages that point to signs that surround the coming of Jesus. And here, rather than walking you through all sorts, you could go to 2 Thessalonians 2 or um, 1 Thessalonians for different ones. But I'm going to actually just focus us here on Matthew chapter 24. It's part of the teaching of Jesus that we refer to as the Olivet Discourse. And Matthew 24, the setting is Jesus and his disciples preceding his crucifixion are on the temple grounds in Jerusalem. And the disciples approach Jesus and they say, Master, we need you to tell us when will these things happen? What are going to be the signs of your coming and of the end of the age? And inside of Matthew 24, Jesus teaches on 
what I would call probably five major categories of signs that will precede the end of the age. Here, I'm going to review them briefly. The first is tribulation and trials. Matthew 24, verse 7 says, nation will rise up against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these events are the beginning of labor pains. Verse 9, they'll hand you over to be persecuted. They will kill you. Uh, And then if you go further in Matthew 24, verse 21, at that time, at the time when the days of the end are coming, there will be great distress, the kind that hasn't taken place from the beginning of the world until now and never will again. And unless those days were cut short, no one would be saved, for those days will be cut short because of the elect. That points to tribulation and trials that precede the coming of Christ and the end of all things. Matthew 24, verse 14, here's the second sort of signs. It says, the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. That second set of signs would be, people would say, Jesus won't return until the good news has gone to every nation. Okay, third sign, the man of lawlessness or the antichrist is revealed. Matthew 24, verse 15 says, When you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then those in Judea must flee to the mountains. Or this is also talked about in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, verse 3 and following. It says, Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day, the coming of the final day, will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness. That's another way to refer to the Antichrist is revealed. The man doomed to destruction, he opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he sits in God's temple proclaiming that he himself is God. So that third sign has to do with the revealing of the man of lawlessness. Okay, now I'm going back to Matthew 24. Fourth sign false prophets, and miracles. Matthew 24, verse 23 says, If anyone tells you, see, here's the Messiah over there, don't believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. And then final sign is celestial signs. Matthew 24, verse 29, immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not shed its light, stars will fall from the sky, the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, then all the peoples of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with great power and great glory. Okay, so there were five signs we talked about. Before the coming of Christ, Matthew 24 says there will be tribulations and trials. The gospel will be preached to all the nations. The man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, will be revealed in opposition to God. There will be false prophets and miracles, and there will be celestial signs that precede his coming. So when people look at those texts of Scripture, what they say is, you can't say the return of Christ is imminent or could happen at any moment because they're the signs that you need to get at. 
So how can we say the return of Jesus could happen at any time if there's all these things that need to happen? Okay, so the tension here is this. How do we resolve these New Testament texts that seem to say the return of Jesus could happen at any minute with these other sets of New Testament texts that seem to say, no, no, there are other signs that need to happen before he could return? Well, I think there's three major solutions that Christians have presented to this. At the risk of oversimplifying them, Here's the major solutions. Option one is this. The return of Jesus is not imminent because the signs haven't happened. In other words, Jesus will return, but it couldn't be just any minute because there are things that still need to happen. Most prominently, the way actually many Christians hear this is um, actually from uh, missionary conferences where they'll talk about, we need to go preach the gospel to all the nations Because until the good news of the kingdom is preached to all the nations, Jesus is not coming back. So they even see things we need to hasten the return of Christ as a call to get the gospel to Pontata Ethne, to every nation under heaven, right? And another way to look at this, so how do people try to solve this? Well, they say, well, maybe the gospel has been preached. We'll get into that later. Another solution people offer is they say, well, actually, um, Jesus, he could come at any time, but his second coming is like in two stages. First, he comes back to the clouds and the church is raptured up to him. We'll talk more, by the way, about the rapture and all of that on a next podcast. But first, Jesus returns to the clouds, the church is raptured up, and then like he finishes his return and comes down to earth. And so, there's what they do there is to solve the problem of the signs and wonders. They say Jesus could come back in any time to the clouds in this kind of hidden coming. And then it is during a seven year period of tribulation where all the signs happen. So it's like a two stage coming is the way they solve this problem of eminence. And I will just say, I think that the two-stage coming or the rapture view is a weaker of the views. And the reason for that is it's really hard to see two separate comings in, in or two like a two-stage return of Jesus inside of the New Testament. It, there's, it so often tells us to look for the appearing of Jesus. Why would it, shouldn't it, it should say something different if there are actually two stages. The second reason that this view isn't really put forward a ton is because it's very new in the history of the church. We really don't see anyone holding a view like a major rapture of the church view until around the 1850s when Darby first puts it forward, and then it's carried forward by what's called premillennial, pre-tribulation, dispensational theology. All those big words matter, but we're not going to unpack them right now. Simply to say this, the first solution offered, can Jesus really return at any time? Some people say, actually, no, he can't, because the signs need to be fulfilled. The second option, can Jesus really return at any time? People say, yes, of course he can, because all the signs have already been fulfilled inside of, generally, this is the way they say it, they all were fulfilled inside the first century of the church. They point back to Matthew 24, and they say, if you read it closely, at the beginning of Matthew 24, Jesus tells his disciples, your generation won't pass away before you see these things happen. And so they say, all of the signs that he mentions in Matthew 24 happened already. And they happened primarily inside the first century of the church. 
So they point back, they say, the tribulation and trials, that happened. The disciples and apostles were persecuted, right? They were. They, the gospel preached to all the nations. They say, that happened. Go read the book of Acts. It said the gospel go from Jerusalem to Judea, ultimately to the uttermost parts of the earth, and that happens in Acts. Paul ends in Rome, at the center of the nations. So the good news was proclaimed to all the nations. That means the gospel gets beyond Jerusalem and ultimately to the center of the pagan world in Rome. The man of lawlessness revealed the Antichrist. They say, this happened in the first century. Go read Revelation. It talks about the Antichrist, his secret number being 666. And they'll say things like, well, hey, if you look at that number, that was a code that early Christians used using a Hebrew alphanumeric code system. And that code means Nero, Caesar. It's talking about a first century Caesar anti-opponent of Christianity. False prophets and miracles. I say, read the book of Acts. They were false prophets working miraculous things. And then they will say, look, the celestial signs that come, those happen like two minutes before the coming of Christ. And so it's not even like those are signs that you should look for to prepare you. That's just going to happen when he returns and he breaks through the clouds. So, can Jesus return at any time? Their answer there is absolutely yes, he can return at any time because all the signs he talked about have already been fulfilled. All right, here's the third option. And this is probably the one I lean to the most. The third option says this, could Jesus return at any time? Third option says this, it is entirely possible he could return at any time because it's possible but unlikely that the signs have been fulfilled. In this case, because it's possible he could return at any time, like maybe the signs have been fulfilled, we should stand ready for the return of Christ. But we also can't be entirely confident that every sign has already been fulfilled. You see, this is kind of my critique of the second view, the all the signs have been fulfilled critique. I think it seems like some of the signs were fulfilled in some way in the first century. I'll grant that. But when we talk about tribulation and trials, certainly throughout all of church history, the church has been persecuted. I mean, think of the early church and the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70 and all that happened there. Even to our modern day, you see totalitarian regimes in North Korea, Russia, China, where Christians are terribly persecuted. But it does seem like when Jesus predicts his coming, there is like a heightening of tribulation in those final days before the end. So it's possible that that sign has been fully fulfilled, but I wonder if it, it maybe there's more to come. The gospel preached to all nations. I do tend to think that this has been overemphasized as a reason for missions. I mean, Colossians 1.23 tells you to remain grounded in the faith, not shift away from the hope of the gospel that we've heard. And it says, this gospel has been proclaimed in all, gener- all creation under heaven, and I, Paul, have become a servant of it. The gospel in the first century had been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. The ordering of Acts. I think it is entirely possible that the gospel has been preached to all the nations in fulfillment of what Jesus said. But can I guarantee that? Uh... I don't know that I'm quite ready to go there. Is it possible the man of lawlessness has been revealed and that 666 was just talking about, you know, Nero? Well, yeah, but I think it's also likely that, like what John talks about, that there are many who have the spirit of Antichrist. I mean, if we'd lived in World War II times, folks, we all would have thought Hitler was the Antichrist, right? 
because there is always lawlessness that is embodied symbolically in an anti-Christ sort of figure. So I guess it's possible the man of lawlessness has been revealed, but I don't, I don't find it likely that the exact way Jesus speaks of it has already happened. Okay, here's my point. My preferred solution is to say, I don't think we can definitively say there's no way Jesus could come back at any moment in time because the signs haven't been fulfilled yet. But I also think it is overconfident to say definitively every sign preceding the return of Jesus has already been fulfilled. I I think that's an overstatement. So I think it is better to humbly say, you know, it's possible but not likely that everything has been fulfilled. And so our stance should not be studying the newspaper to figure out what sign should happen next, but instead standing in the posture that Matthew 24 commands us to be in, that we should always be ready. I mean, here's where Matthew 24 leads us. Jesus says in verse 36, concerning the day and the hour, no one knows. No one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, except the Father alone. As the days of Noah were, so the coming of the Son of Man will be. For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day Noah boarded the ark. They didn't know until the flood came and swept them all away. This is the way it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field, and one will be taken away and one left. Two women will be grinding grain with a handmill. One will be taken, one left. Here's the conclusion. Therefore, be alert. Be ready, since you don't know what day your Lord is coming. Be ready. The emphasis there seems to be to say this, be anticipating the return of Christ. Can I promise you that it could happen at absolutely any moment? Well, I think it's possible. Maybe it's unlikely that all the signs have happened. But what I do know this is we definitely need to be ready for the return of Christ. And in that sense, it is imminent. It is something we should always be prepared for. So that's my answer to the question of what should we do to prepare for the imminent return of Christ. But we obviously have a couple more questions about the end times we'll try to tackle in the next couple podcasts. What do we have to do with the millennial kingdom and the tribulation? What will heaven be like? And what does it mean with this new heavens and new earth? And in all of this, I continue to want to ground us in this. Let's operate in these measures with a, with a posture of humility. Through the history of the church, they messed up the first coming of Jesus. Will we really get his second coming absolutely perfect in every detail? Well, I think humility would tell us that's unlikely. And as we approach this with a standpoint of humility, let's build off the foundation of that where there is broad agreement throughout the history of the church and clear teaching in the scripture. Jesus will come again. Personal, visible, physical return of Christ that we should long for, and though we don't know exactly when it will come, we should look for the end of all things. We should long for the return of Jesus, because when he comes, he will bring judgment on those who don't believe. He will bring restoration, reward of believers in the new heavens and new earth, and he will bring a world where there is no curse and no sorrow and no sin. There is only joy to the world and glory to God. So, As we talk about the end of all things, can I just admonish you, be ready for his coming, 
And don't get so lost in the details of exactly how it will happen that you lose the anticipation of the return of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Look for his coming, church. 